0: Sermon text for this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verses 7 through 15. So please listen to the word of the Lord. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door, and if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. This is the word of the Lord.
1: All right, are we on? Good morning, everyone. Uh, it's good to be with you today. Sorry for the, the dance that the mask requires, but I think you all know how I feel <laughs> at this point. Uh, I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 10. We'll be in John chapter 10 this morning. And As we do so, I want to take a moment now just to pray for us. Uh, as we approach God's Word, uh, we need the help of the Spirit to understand and to receive it. So let's do that this morning as we pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we are here today because you have spoken to us, you have reached your hands into our worlds, and you have gotten involved And we are here because we believe in your existence, Father, and your involvement in not just the world, uh, its creation, uh, not just the world 2,000 years ago when Jesus walked the earth, but we believe that you are still involved today, and we ask that you would speak to us now through your word. Would you remind us of your current involvement in our lives and the lives of our families and friends around us father would you remind us of your involvement in our our days to come our years to come and even the life to come i pray that you would help us to set our anxieties aside father our our concerns our struggles whatever burdens we may bring into this room today father help us to loosen those And help us to set our eyes and hearts fully on you this morning. uh, That you might teach us, that you might show us uh, what love is this day. We ask in your name. Amen. Well, love, as the theme for today, the Advent theme, it's a it's a funny word. Uh, For many, love is a mystery. You know, what is the starting point, if any, some kind of base reference by which we can all agree that that love is can we say that someone is loving even when they're clearly unloving in other ways or maybe they are loving towards us but they are unloving towards other people in particular the world around us seems to have a pretty unfortunate understanding of love and they have a, they struggle to maintain a working definition of it uh, one of the more recent summations is simply love is love. Love is love. And Christians aren't exempt here. You know, Many a believer would answer the question by saying that God is love, which is true, but I think we need to be honest with ourselves in knowing that when we say that, oftentimes we don't fully understand or grasp the full implications of what it means for God to be love. You now, we as, as people have this unfortunate tendency to project ourselves onto those around us, onto the, the world around us. You know, we mistakenly assume that uh, our friends and family obviously can tell when we're not doing well. You know, if we're having a tough day, of course my spouse can tell. Hopefully they can tell, but they can't always tell. Uh, or we assume that if we're being treated poorly, the people around us can clearly see it. Or maybe, you know, if you're doing well, you assume those around you are also doing well. You know, you might love your job, but you can't understand why on earth your coworker might despise the same job. You know, why is it that you love it and they don't? Even when we make a meaningful connection with someone new that we meet, we often assume they share the same values of us. Like, we get along with them, so they must think like us. They must share the same priorities, concerns, perhaps even the same political beliefs. And yet, time and time again, this is not the case. But we still continue this this false projection. Uh, My point is, is simply this. We often falsely associate God with love by comparing and contrasting him to what we know of ourselves. Because God is so beyond our our natural comprehension. When someone says God is love, we take our understanding, our our comprehension, our our experience of love from over here, and we, we paint a picture. We say, well, I felt love in this way. Or it's natural for me to express love in this way. And we paint that picture, and then we go to God and we say, okay, picture of my understanding of love, boom, put it on God. So God now is really what my own understanding of love is. Or put another way, God becomes our love, becomes your love. Which means when when we achieve our best love or when someone else expresses their best love to us that we agree with, that must be God-like love. However, this morning, I want to talk about in specific how God has displayed a specific love to us, and how in contrast to what I said about us painting our own picture of that love, this love that God has displayed should fuel our understanding of what love truly is. So God's definition of love should fuel our our painting, our picture of love in our own lives. So we've got two parts to our time together today. First, if you're taking notes, we'll look at the love of Jesus as our shepherd, and second, we will look at the love of God in his faithfulness. So first, looking at the love of Jesus as our shepherd, um, just a few sub points for us. This first one uh, from verses 7 and 10 of our text today are that Jesus is the door and the protector of the sheep. Jesus is the door and protector of the sheep. Verses 7 through 10, let me read for us. Now, in our world today, there are doors upon doors upon doors. Uh, in our homes, we have front doors, we have bedroom doors, we have closet doors, we have pantry doors, we have car doors, on and on it goes. Much of our lives is simply going from one door to the next, if you think about just your, your daily routine. But in ancient times, there were far fewer doors. They, they primarily existed as a, as a main entrance entrance. Or a gate. So if you wanted to enter a city, you would often go through the main city gate. Or if you entered a house or a home, there was typically one door that you would go through and the rest would be um, open. And you weren't thinking about the multiplicity of doors available to you. What could be behind this door? No, there was just a few at any given time. Rather, you considered the significance of what that one specific door or entrance was and so for Jesus here to say that he is the door of the sheep is to say that the way to the sheep and the way the sheep enter is is through him and so these doors were not only signifying entrance but they also signified especially in this case uh, protection the door was by which the sheep are protected and Jesus again is the door by which the sheep come in and are kept safe, and find open pasture. And this idea, many of you are probably thinking of it now, is also um, reverberated in Psalms chapter 23. Uh, Many of you can probably recite it from memory as I read it briefly. Psalms chapter 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul picture of pasture that we see in John 10 and also in Psalm chapter 23 is a pasture that Jesus brings us to. The rest that we see in these passages is that which Jesus provides. And the picture of peace and goodness is only made possible by the presence of Jesus in that pasture. Without him, there's no pasture, There's no rest, no safety, and no comfort. In contrast here, we see the thieves and the robbers who come to steal, kill, and destroy. They're seeking simply their own gain, not caring anything about the sheep. And ultimately, the sheep would be destroyed by the thieves and robbers. And people often voluntarily Follow the thieves and robbers, which we could contrast compared to the the wicked of the world, for the same promises we see in our text. The world is also offering happiness, rest, and peace. Friends, the world is not offering anything other than what Jesus offers, but they are offering less than what Jesus offers. The world wants to give you life, but it's only the life that you now live. They can't give you anything for the life to come. Yet even their promises for your current life can't be kept. The promises of a a worldly society cannot truly offer heaven on earth, no matter how hard they try. One theologian put it this way. He said, the world is still seeking its humanistic and political saviors. Uh, Just like the people of Israel were seeking uh, an earthly messiah who would come in and take over their homeland and bring about revolution. But in contrast, the world is seeking its Hitlers, its Stalins, its Pol Potts, and only too late do they learn that these humanistic Political saviors confiscate personal property, ruthlessly trample human life underfoot, and contemptuously savage all that is valuable. In John 10, we see here that Jesus is right. It is not the doctrine of heaven that is a myth, but it is the world's dream of utopia on earth. So in contrast to the way of the world, Jesus is the way that brings us to God and to our pasture today. As we've seen in our text clearly, Jesus is the door, the entrance and protector to the sheep and it is he who brings us to that pasture. But Jesus, as the good shepherd we'll see this morning, doesn't just have concern for your life now. He's not just interested in your life today. He cares just as much about your life to come, about your soul, which is why he offers you his life. Our second subpoint, as we see in verses 11 through 15, uh, 13, is that Jesus lays down his life for the sheep. Look down with me at verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The shepherd lays down his life for. For the sheep, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. So what is a hired hand? Uh, I'll tell you exactly what a hired hand is. It was me working seasonal at Target in Naperville, Illinois during my freshman year of college. Uh, Most of us know that the winter break for Southern and boys students is ridiculously long. But if you're a student, you love it. It's the best thing. Um, But I came home from my first semester of college down here, back up to the Chicagoland area, and my dad insisted that I get a job. I was going to be home for two months, and I needed to make some money. So uh, I went out and got a job at the local Target. And honestly, I have never cared less about a job in my life. It was awful. And that's saying something, So I had already been a janitor for three years prior to that. Uh, I hated every moment of that job. I think especially because I knew it wasn't going to last. Like, it was just going to be six, seven weeks at most. And then after that, I'll be back down to Louisville to go to school. And I'm pretty sure, honestly, I think I worked thanksgiving until christmas and then didn't come back after that and said i'm going to enjoy my january here uh i didn't want to be there i didn't want to improve anything i didn't really want to help anyone i was only there because my dad insisted and there would be wrath to pay if i was not at target a true hired hand Uh, similarly here in our passage the hired hand is ready for a way out before it even presents itself. They are geared and looking. As soon as it comes, they will jump on it. There's not going to be an, an internal dialogue of, oh, if I see a threat or something coming, you know, should I do this? Should I do that? No, they've got one strategy, and that's when the going gets tough. They are going to get going. And it's not that they don't care. They care quite deeply but the problem is they care only for themselves quite deeply they have no cares for the sheep of the pasture and then there is the sheep you know pastors oftentimes talk a lot about sheep during this time of year Uh, I think we all know they're slow, they're stubborn, even to the point of just stupidity and frustration. Uh, If you've seen the popular movie, Babe, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, If not, you should go watch it. Great movie. But what about shepherds? I think many people think of shepherds as lowly, gentle, friendly, calm people. Uh, But shepherding was pretty tough work. Uh, There was no glamour. There was no glory to be had for the shepherd. Uh, More likely, it was something that would appear on the show Dirty Jobs with Mike Rowe. Uh, Shepherding would be up there. It was pretty rough, uh, no glamour to go along with it. It was incredibly exhausting, both physically and mentally. And again, little reward and sometimes a very dangerous job. And although, ideally... The best of shepherds truly cared about their sheep and their sheep's well-being. At times, that was at the expense of their personal safety, but it was certainly very rare that a shepherd would be killed in defense of their sheep. That just didn't happen very often. And certainly, the shepherds didn't wake up each morning thinking to themselves, am I going to die today taking care of my sheep Am I ready to lay my life down for the sake of the sheep? Uh, Certainly not, because if the shepherd died, uh, there'd be no one to protect the sheep. So no more shepherd likely means no more sheep. And at this point, uh, we're taken to where we must go if we want to really understand the significance of Jesus beyond the metaphor of the shepherd. Jesus did not just lay down his life for us. He did not just die an excruciating death just so that we could see a wonderful act of his love. It wasn't just something to behold. Certainly, we see a magnificent act of love in Jesus' death, but it had to be more than that. Rather, Jesus has recognized that the sheep are in mortal danger. And his death is not just for our protection. It's really for our saving, for our rescue, and for our salvation. It is a self-sacrificing act of rescue. Some of you might have been here when John Powell preached at Vine Street a few years ago. He was a dear friend of uh, Spencer Harmon's. I also knew him, but we weren't close when he was at Boyce. Earlier this year... John and a friend of his got out of their car to pull people from a burning vehicle on the road. Moments later, John and his friend looked up to see a semi-truck barreling full speed towards them. John pushed his friend aside and was struck and killed instantly by the semi-truck. John didn't just protect the life of his friend. In protecting it, he also saved it at the cost of his own life. It wasn't just defending him from something, but it was saving him as well. And we, you and I, cannot be saved apart from the death of Jesus Christ. Another theologian has said it this way, the shepherd jesus in particular does not die for his sheep to serve as an example as if to throw himself off a cliff and futilely say see how much i love you i'm willing to die for you by jumping off this cliff for you now the assumption here is that the sheep are again in mortal danger and that in their defense the shepherd loses his life but by his death they are saved That and that alone is what makes Jesus the Good Shepherd. But why would Jesus want to save us in the first place? Our third sub point, verses 14 and 15. Jesus knows the sheep and they know him. Look down with me at verse 14 of John chapter 10. Jesus says, I am the Good Shepherd. I know my own and they know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. There is a certain base level of appreciation um, among people today for those who died fighting for the freedom of our country. The brave men and women who put their lives on the line for the sake of freedom and a future society that many of them would not be able to see. Now, I can say I'm incredibly thankful for their sacrifice, and I can, I can honor them. But I don't personally know anyone who has died for my freedom. Both of my grandfathers fought in World War II, but they also lived. However, when you talk to someone who has lost a relative to war or a friend to war or a police officer or a firefighter who died in the line of duty, that person carries a heavy burden of deep appreciation for the life that was given. And that is because that person knew and was known by the one who gave their life. There was a relational connection a significant connection and that is the gospel that God did not descend to earth just to pay our ransom and to to call it even as if to say hey it's all good no worries no sweat off my back Jesus died you're all fine and he didn't bring heaven to us just to simply say you know feel free make yourself at home as if we could be guests in the house of God he came to call us as sons and daughters and his family to know us and be known by us that we could run to the stage or to the throne like Judah runs to the stage. In Christ's death, he knew Sean. He knew Roy. He knew the Bettys. He knew you. That's what led him to the cross. And he knows you now. And Jesus doesn't just invite us to know him, but he invites us to know him as he knows the Father. Talk about a significant relationship. I mean, the, one of the primary reasons that Jesus would go to the cross and die the death he did was out of his great love, respect, and obedience to the will of the Father. Can you imagine what that relationship must be like that Jesus would come and live the life he lived and suffered out of his love for the Father? And he invites us to share that same love with him. Well, Let's switch gears now here just a little bit to the second half of our focus today. I want us to see how the love of Jesus, particularly as the good shepherd, reflects the love of God as a whole, Father, Son, and Spirit, and that love for His people throughout all generations in the history of the world. And this second half of our time today is titled, The Faithfulness of God's Love, and we see that in Ezekiel 34. I'd love for you to turn there with me, Ezekiel 34. We will see that Jesus is the faithful shepherd, the faithful shepherd. Ezekiel chapter 34, I'm going to read verses 11 through 16. For thus says the Lord God, Behold I, I myself, will search out my sheep, and I will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep And I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture. And on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I make myself. I will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured. And I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. I don't know if you were counting all of the eyes of God. There were 14, 14 times where God says he will get involved. You see, God has been planning on restoring the the shepherdhood as, as we might say, to himself, and that true shepherd would be found in Jesus. God had made a promise to his people of Israel, and that promise is that he would come himself to shepherd his people. And Jesus is the fruition of that promise. In Jesus, not just a king and not just a priest, as we saw a few weeks ago, but as a shepherd And in this, we see that God has proven faithful. The word today, faithfulness, is less and less associated with love these days. It seems more and more that today's love is found in the moment. It's in the feeling. It's in the now, the environment, the conversation, and context. Love seems to be less about the long haul. It's really right now or nothing. And yet God shows us that true love is proven over time. It continues over the years and does not waver. It is a faithful love that we have been loved with. And God promised to reach in and get his hands dirty No more middlemen, no more patriarchs, no more priests, no more prophets. It was time for God to get involved. God himself will seek out his sheep. God himself will rescue them. God himself will feed them and cause them to lie down, to have rest. And God himself will be their shepherd, binding up the injured, strengthening the weak, protecting from the thief and robber. Now up until this point, uh, this morning, everything I've talked about from these various texts has has presupposed something rather significant. And if you miss this this final point, uh, nothing I've said so far really means anything. So please listen carefully. This last subpoint is that you desperately need a shepherd you desperately need a shepherd let me read for us from Isaiah 53 verse 6 all we like sheep have gone astray we have turned everyone to his own way as you're listening now to my voice you have either at one time been astray or are now astray Being astray is just another way to say that you're lost. You've been separated from the pasture and the flock, and simply you are unable to return on your own. You're not going to find your way back. You, You can't. In spiritual terms, to be astray is to say that you are dead in your sin and your transgressions. Separated from God with absolutely no hope. And the world... The thieves and the robbers want to distract you from your lostness. If you're entertained, why bother to care that you might be lost? In this life, it may only be lostness, but in the life to come, it will be much, much worse. Friends, the gospel is that God has promised a shepherd in Jesus, and when he came, he went out into the lostness to find you, blind and bound to your sin and to bring you home. In Jesus, the lost are found. In Jesus, the sheep are fed and find rest. And in Jesus, the sheep are protected. And this is only sweet and can only be a source of great joy For those of us who know that they were lost, we were lost and we are now found. Christians know that they desperately needed a shepherd and still do. If you have not come to understand your need for a shepherd, for a savior, please give serious thought to the weight of your sin and your lostness before a holy God who is even now searching you out. Do not press the kindness of the Lord any further. The time for repentance is today. And for the rest of us, is there a, a sin that you have clung to in this COVID season? Something you've tried to bring into the pasture as it were, thinking you could keep it secret or hidden. Perhaps you've neglected opportunities to reach out to a friend or to a family member using distancing guidelines as an excuse not to care for those within your vicinity. Maybe your job has gone remote and you have slacked off in light of loosened accountability from your superiors. Have you openly criticized friends, family, churches, Or those who simply have different opinions on the pandemic, on social distancing, on voting? Or have you put the spiritual well-being of you and even your family on the back burner now that your church offers online services? Friends, these days are a call to spiritual arms, not a call to spiritual apathy. Lay your burdens on Jesus. Lean on your brothers and your sisters. Receive the grace of Jesus each day, for the shepherd is with us. As we've seen, the Bible is not just filled with stories about sheep, there's a lot in there about shepherds, too. What did David, the greatest king of Israel, do before the throne? He was a shepherd boy. Abraham, Jacob, shepherds. Moses, who wrote the first five books of the Bible and was one of the greatest leaders for the people of Israel after growing up a prince of Egypt, after killing the Egyptian, fled into the wilderness and became a shepherd. And when Jesus finally makes his physical appearance in the flesh as a baby boy, Who receives the grandest announcement? Some shepherds. Out in their fields at night. The good shepherd, the shepherd of all shepherds, was proclaimed by the angels to shepherds. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field to the Good Shepherd in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, you have been so gracious in the sending of Christ for us. He has loved us in so great a way that we confess we often cannot fathom and cannot grasp the ways in which you have loved us. Yet we can still say thank you. We can still ask you to help us better understand each day after day more fully what this love truly means. We know that this COVID season has disrupted and changed and even slowed down what would be a typical Christmas season. And I ask for each person here to